Welcome to Fick Focus, where Bloomberg Intelligence fixed income, credit currency, and commodity strategists and analysts discuss their short and long-term views on debt markets and issuers. Now, here's the Bloomberg Intelligence Fick Research Team. Welcome to the Fick Focus Podcast, the Macro Matters Edition. I'm Ira Jersey, the Chief U.S. Interest Rate Strategist for Bloomberg Intelligence. We go across the pond today to talk to Dan Hansen. He's an economist with the Bloomberg Economics team covering the United Kingdom. Also with me today, we'll be talking with Angelo Monolatos about his Bank of Canada call. And uh, that preview was just put out this morning on the 21st of October as we speak. And then I'll come back on and be a little meta and talk a little bit about our view on the Federal Reserve and the coming taper, as well as the supply issues with uh, the Treasury Department. But first, let's go to Dan Hansen. Dan, thanks very much for coming on the Fick Focus podcast. Thanks very much for having me. So let's talk a little bit about the maybe the economic environment first in the United Kingdom. Obviously, it's not immune to everything that's going on with global supply chain issues and the like. But but what's your view now going forward, both looking at growth as well as the inflationary issues that are going on globally? Yeah, so I think this year you can think of in two halves, really, for the UK. In the first half, we've had well, in the very start of the year, we had a lockdown and then we had a very rapid rebound in activity as everything opened up. And now as we're sort of entering the second half of the year and the final three months of the year are approaching, things have slowed quite significantly. Um, and now that's partly to be expected because the reopening boost is, as we know, very, very big and you, you can't expect those sort of gains to be repeated. But there are a few other issues hampering the UK, and you've mentioned one of them there, and it's it's the supply chain issues. So we, there's been a slowdown in supply growth in the UK, and that's been quite evident in the numbers. Um, demand growth continues to tick along. It continues to recover. And it's really that balance between um, supply and demand, if we just to move on to inflation, that has started to see inflation pick up and pick up pretty sharply. Um we're at the latest reading for the CPI inflation in the UK is about 3.1 percent. And that was out yesterday. Bank of England's target is 2 percent. Um, and there has been there have been elements of reopening inflation, that imbalance between supply and demand um, that has pushed pushed the annual rate up. But we've also seen global influences as well. I mean, everywhere's had the, the effect, base effects from energy. Um, but also supply chain shortages have pushed up, particularly the good side of the CPI basket. Um, and looking to the end of the year, uh, the combination of energy and, and goods inflation is going to push um, CPI up, we think, above 4%. And, and crucially for the Bank of England, it looks like it could stay around 4% for quite a while. So potentially into the, to, um, the first half of next year and only really fall back in the second half. And, and that's really what's got um, the Bank of England worried and why we've seen this, this change of tack from them. Yeah. So remind us, you know, how the Bank of England typically operates. You know, the United States is relatively unique with their dual mandate of stable prices as well as full employment. Right. So they have to balance these two issues, which which maybe means that the Federal Reserve might might be a little bit more dovish for longer because of that, you know, employment bit. But 
other banks like the Bank of England doesn't have the same remit. So so how does that change maybe their, um, their the policy response to this, you know, potentially, as you mentioned, four percent of inflation for quite a while? Yeah, so that, that's a really important point. And the, the Bank of England simply has a two percent inflation target. And that that is their mandate. And that's what they're, they're aiming to hit. And traditionally, the as with all monetary policy authorities, they look to hit that at the two to three year horizon when they're setting interest rates. The big issue for the bank at the moment is that inflation is high, but the labour market looks tight and there's evidence of wage growth picking up. And that combination has got them worried about inflation expectations and the idea that these these high levels of inflation will feed into wage bargaining, feed into firms' price setting processes, and it will become entrenched and they'll have a much bigger problem going forward. And there's been a real shift, I would say, really over the past month um, in the Bank of England's narrative. We had the September meeting, and in the minutes of that meeting, they opened the door to an interest rate hike this year. And in the communication since, and predominantly from the governor, Andrew Bailey, there's been an enormous emphasis on the risks from high inflation and the risks to inflation expectations. And that's why you've seen this real shift in market pricing around the bank. So markets now see interest rates, the first interest rate rise in the UK coming uh, at the November meeting, which takes place or the, the outcome of the November meeting will come on the 4th of fourth of November. So very soon. So it's been this real shift. Um, even, even a month ago, markets were looking for the first rate rise sort of in the middle of next year, so the first half of next year, really, um, February, May time. So there's been this enormous shift in uh, in expectations. Does that, so how does that go into your thinking about future growth then? Because one of the issues that that we've been trying to tackle with as a as a strategy team is you, you know you have this push and pull where if central banks do start to hike interest rates early they're going to be crimping demand and some of that demand particularly in the countries that we're talking about today right the uh, you know the United Kingdom the United States Canada you know those English speaking primarily English speaking countries are uh, it's going to slow growth significantly, including in sectors that aren't being as affected by the price increases because of the global supply chain problems and some of the you know labor shortages and trucking and, and and the like. So 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 how how do the do central banks really try to balance that mixture of um, you, you know slow real growth but you know increasing inflation, which is a little bit different than you know other periods when you when you've had inflation rise similar to what uh, to what it is now. Yeah, I mean they they're trying to work out the correct policy response to a supply shock, and it's really difficult. And as you say, it's it's this difficult mix of slow growth but high inflation. And um, I think moving in moving into next year, I mean, we I was talking about the the slowdown in growth we've seen in the in the second half of this year actually the uk is facing quite a quite a tough final three months of the year so we've got fiscal support being withdrawn um the wage support schemes we've had here are being withdrawn um inflation's going up that'll squeeze real incomes um and on top of all of that you've got the prospect of these interest rate rises i mean from from a central bank perspective and it is it is quite um I guess you, you don't want to get too nerdy with it, but they're they're really worried about that balance between demand and supply. And if they think demand has got well up ahead of supply growth, then 
it, it's in their it's, it's in within their remit and to stick within their remit they need to do something about it from from where i'm sitting there there is a question though about where the biggest risk lies is the risk about letting inflation run a little bit hot like the fed is going to allow it to do even the ecb is sounding very very relaxed about inflation or is the risk that you go after inflation with interest rate rises and that ends up slowing growth so much that you end up having to reverse what you've done and you have a sort of ecb 2010 2011 type scenario and actually for me it's that second risk that's the bigger one particularly with limited policy space so the difference between what the Bank of England should do um, and what I think they will do is different. I think what they should do is probably sit tight for a little bit longer. I think what they probably will do is is lift interest rates and probably by the end of this year. So if they do lift interest rates, you know, early, you know, if it's by the end of this year, that's pretty amazing. Um, you know, what What is the then the, the you know, longer-term ramifications kind of for growth and, and your outlook. So, you know, would you expect them to continue to hike or is it something that they're going to, you know, do it very slowly so people kind of pay attention or um, – and, and then what does that do for your, um, you know, for your view on, on growth, say, in 22 and, and maybe 23? Like how, how would that shift your, your uh, you know, baseline thinking about it? Yeah, so so that's really interesting. So the first – if the first, say we get the first move this year, I mean, the market's looking for a very aggressive part from the bank into next year and they think by the end of 2022 rates will be up at about one percent which is very very high and sort of almost unthinkable even as i say almost a month ago we think they'll go more slowly so we think by the end of next year we may get one more we may have had one more hike possibly two and at the same time the bank has indicated that it's going to start um qt so passive roll off of the balance sheet so it's going to stop reinvestment maturing bonds so that's quite a lot of tightening already in in the mix. Um, in terms of, I mean, if we follow, if we take our path and we follow our path of rates, we've got growth. We've got growth this year at about seven percent, which is obviously very very high, but it's helped enormously by the low base in 2020. Um, next year we've got growth around five percent, but you could see growth low, being knocked by about half a percentage point if the if the bank sort of goes aggressively and um goes sort of in line with almost where the market is and obviously then when you think about inflation thinking through there you could you could knock maybe 0.2 percentage point 0.3 percentage point off off inflation in two or three years time from what they're doing and i think there's actually a risk if they do go aggressively that inflation they're going to be looking at an inflation undershoot in two or three years time not a not an inflation overshoot which is obviously not what they're looking looking to do with this so it's it's a really fine balancing act they've got, and it's um it's it's got very interesting the debate around it in the UK. I would imagine if they got that wrong, that would imply that maybe the markets get ahead of it, and and you see a pretty significant uh, flattening, if not inversion, of the yield curve. Uh, but that's something that we'll have to talk with your colleague Hugh Worthington uh, over in the UK about in the near future. With that, Dan. Thank you very much for, uh, for coming on the Fic Focus podcast. That's Dan Hansen. He's a Bloomberg Intelligence Economist for the United Kingdom. Thanks very much. Cheers, Ira. And now we're going to come over to the other side of the Atlantic Ocean. We're going to go up to the Great White North and talk to Angelo Monolatos, who is a North American uh, North American strategist here talking about the Bank of Canada. Angelo, you just put out your uh, preview of the Bank of Canada meeting uh, it, that, that's coming up next week. 
Obviously, we just talked to Dan about um, about the UK raising rates early, and you've certainly seen a big shift in expectations um, in both the United States and, uh, but but in particular, uh, the uh, in Canada about when they're going to start hiking rates. So, if England goes first, you know, is Canada next? So, Angela, what, what's what's your view on that? Hey, so thanks for having me on. Uh, well, to answer your question, I think the market certainly thinks so. Uh, fully pricing in an April 2022 uh, interest rate hike, but uh, as we as we've noted today in our in our preview, uh, the Bank of Canada has been persistent that uh, they're going to wait till economic slack is absorbed, the output gap closes, and that's going to be their condition for raising rates. In the July meeting, which is the last time they provided updated forecasts, they saw that happening in the second half of 2022. And uh, our colleagues at uh, Bloomberg Economics believe that uh, the second half of 2022 remains the condition for uh, for uh, that to be met and the interest rates to be lifted off of the uh, effective lower bound. Um, however, that doesn't mean there aren't going to be uh, other changes during this meeting uh, with surging inflation, with a uh, jobs deficit um, that is completely recovered from 2020 February 2022 levels in just outright numbers of uh, February 2020, sorry, levels in uh, outright numbers. We we believe the Bank of Canada is in a good position to go into the reinvestment phase of QE where they're still buying in the secondary market, but they're not increasing the size of their balance sheet. So uh, a lot of people listening are probably familiar with the FOMC more than the Bank of Canada. So similar to what the FOMC does after they're done tapering, but before they get to that uh, quantitative tightening phase. So let's talk a little bit about how the quantitative easing, like like the system of quantitative easing in the Bank of Canada works vis-a-vis the Fed. So the Federal Reserve, when when they're done with, uh, with, with purchasing assets, presumably next June, we'll talk about that in a moment, um, <clears throat> the Federal Reserve then becomes an add-on buyer at auction. So the way that it keeps things stable – in terms of its balance sheet, is it reinvest maturities um, at auction, but they don't competitively bid. So they just take their price takers. They get whatever price the market sets at those auctions. The Bank of Canada, though, you just mentioned, as in the reinvestment phase, it it actually goes out and still is buying bonds in the market, not dissimilar to the way that the Federal Reserve does mortgages when it reinvests mortgages, right? When it reinvests mortgages, it's still uh, purchasing uh, purchasing mortgages from the open market, so it still has some kind of um, you know sway on uh, on pricing. Um, you know, in the past, uh, when, when they went into the reinvestment phase, did Canada, uh, you know, did, did they have a significant impact on pricing? And do you think that they will going forward? So this is the so the Bank of Canada uh, just started uh, quantitative easing during this cycle, as many other central banks also did. Uh, but I I totally agree with that. The, so the so we have a few details of how how the reinvestment phase is going to work. So they're looking at matching maturities over longer time periods because they don't have um, they don't have monthly they not every month has a maturity, and um, they plan on roughly matching them between. Uh, auction reinvestments and then in the open market, but they're going to end up doing most of that uh, reinvesting in the open market. Uh, So, yeah, so they haven't done this before, but like you said, there's definitely going to be a flow effect. They're continuing to buy in the open market. They're a price, relatively price insensitive bidder. They have a preset operation with a preset uh, year in um, maturity range that they're going to be purchasing and we know that they're going to be doing that at least until they hike interest rates. Uh, and most likely it's going to go and in, bleed into a little bit more after they uh, start hiking rates. 
since that is a from a policy accommodation phase that's it's um they consider it neutral because the size of the balance sheet isn't actually changing so what's your what's your view then you know given all of these factors and you know the, the fact that the, that the market's priced for early hikes if if you're right and and uh, Andrew Husby who's our Bloomberg economist who uh, covers Canada if you guys are right and maybe they're going to hike a little bit later wh- what's the impact on the curve and uh, and general rates you know the front end and and say the belly of the curve because presumably that's the area that's going to be most affected by uh, shifts in expectations for the Bank of Canada. Yeah, so like you said, uh, so we had a much sharper move in two-year yields, GOCs, versus two-year U.S. Treasury Treasury yields. Two-year GOCs are over 80 basis points right now. So any delay to the timeline, if the market is convinced that, hey, maybe the inv- inflation uh, isn't transitory, because at this point, we kind of see that it's not, uh, but it's, uh, it's not going to spook the Bank of Canada. The Bank of Canada is committed to the outlook gap assessment, then you get, you should see a little bit of steepening in, uh, let's say the twos tens curve, uh, due to, uh, you know, lower twos, um, as for the belly, the belly has appreciated a lot, but, uh, as we, uh, I mean, sorry, the belly has sold off a lot, but as, as we see also in the U S and I, I continue to, I agree with that assessment, even if we delay hikes one to one to two quarters, or maybe from April to July or, uh, the September meeting in 2022, we're still going to price in um, a a nice hiking cycle uh, unless there's some serious bumps uh, along the way. And therefore, uh, yeah, fives do have a little bit of scope to rally, but that is limited because when the hiking cycle starts, the Bank of Canada is going to want to hike. And the Bank of Canada uh, in the previous hiking cycle did hike uh, relatively quickly when they restarted their hiking cycle in 2017. Great. Angelo, anything else on the Bank of Canada you'd like to mention before we turn over to the Fed? Uh, yeah. So uh, in the last Bank of Canada meeting, we got a well, we got an update on um, the jobs deficit. So earlier I said that the jobs deficit has been fully closed between February 2020 seasonally adjusted jobs and September 2021. However, if you look at the employment to population ratio, which is uh a rate that the Bank of Canada actually used in their previous um, July forecasts. They calculated that the jobs deficit was roughly 550,000 jobs. So I've re-ran that analysis going into the meeting, and I found that there's uh, around 270,000 jobs. So in three short months, the Bank of Canada was able to, I mean, the Canadian economy was able to recover a lot of that deficit. Um, But a large deficit still does remain, and it it is highly uneven. Uh, You see... Uh, goods producing sector uh, having actually lost jobs from February to now. And if you strip out public administration from service sector jobs, you're only at a net 20, uh, around 20,000 job gains in that time period. So it is a highly uneven labor market recovery. And if the Bank of Canada wants some reason to be a little bit, a little bit dovish, that is something they can talk about because Everything else with the labor market does seem uh, pretty strong at this point, and the recovery is very robust. 
And we have to remember 270,000 doesn't sound like much if you were living in the United States, just given the the, the size. But um, the, the United States economy is, you know, what is it, eight eight or nine times larger in terms of population as as Canada is. So um, so obviously that's still a very large jobs deficit vis-a-vis um, the population. Uh, with that, Angelo, thanks very much. Let's turn over to the to the Federal Reserve. So in, in two weeks on November the 2nd the uh, and 3rd, we will have the Federal Reserve meeting. Meeting and uh, the, we do expect the Federal Reserve to announce that it's going to be reducing asset purchases. And actually, uh, we, we think that it will start that during its regular uh, its regular cycle. So on on the 14th uh, or uh, of November or 15th of November, they're going to announce their um, uh, probably start their actual reduction in purchases. And um, the the rates market certainly are taking a look at that. We've seen an increase in inflation expectations driven by break evens. Uh, you now have, uh, as as we record, it's uh, 2.61% on 10-year Treasury inflation break evens. We're right at a very important technical level there for uh, for 10-year break evens. Uh, the Bloomberg Economics team, Anna Wong, who spoke on this show a couple of weeks ago, you know, note, has noted now that they expect inflation to run a little bit hotter, maybe than initially uh, expected. Um, from my perspective, the issue is, uh, as as Angelo mentioned and. Dan mentioned earlier, is how uneven sector-wise some of the, these inflationary impulses are. So you have significant inflation in good sectors, not as much still in, in uh, services sectors. So the question is, even though service sectors continue to um, uh, have a problem finding employees to, to work um, in those particular jobs. So the, so the question is, does do we see an inflationary impulse across the board or is it going to be limited to a very, uh, uh, very small number of sectors? And if it's not broad based, like Angelo said, that might give a give the Federal Reserve um, the ammunition it needs not to hike until such time as we see a very broad based increases in, in uh, wages as well as uh, potential job growth. So um, I, I think that the the market is now pricing for a chance of a uh, a non trivial chance I should say of a September 2022 hike um, if the Federal Reserve tapers when we think in November. They then should be done if they if they reduce at fifteen billion dollars a month, which is basically they've they've said that that's probably the pace that they're going to go. They'll be done by mid June. They'll buy their last bond on or about the the tenth of June or so, um, and then uh, and then the you know that that leaves then the runway open to potential uh, interest rate hikes. So September certainly in, in my view would probably be the earliest that they would hike um, because they would want to wait at least uh, at least three or four months from the time the taper ended to to actually hiking. Um, I, I still think that there's going to be some type of hiccup because even though inflation might be running hot, real growth is likely to slow significantly. And as real growth slows, I think that policymakers will uh, be okay with the idea that inflation will run at four percent for the next year, maybe two and a half, between two and a half and three percent, maybe in 2022 and 2023. Um, but like Dan mentioned, you know, then you could potentially have undershoots. So I think the Fed of all of the central banks will be just a little bit more. More cautious, and in particular because they do have the dual mandate that I mentioned before. Um, now, what does this mean for their yield curve? Well, it means that that for the time being, we can maybe flatten the yield curve just a little bit. But I think, generally speaking, um, I, I think as it becomes clear that the the Fed might be more cautious than what the market is currently pricing, you'll see two-year notes maybe move to, uh, move lower and yield a little bit from around 41 basis points today. I don't think a lot lower, but you know, it could go to 
that down to 30 or 35 basis points. But really, the back end of the curve is where you'll see most of the action. So I do think that we'll hit at least this year's yield highs on the 10-year note and probably the 30-year bond as well. Um, you'll probably see some general steepening of the yield curve as we get into uh, as we get into 2022, and and part of that is going to be a um, is going to be a reflection of the fact that the Fed's going to remain uh, remain a little bit more dovish than the market's expecting, and and that inflation will run somewhat hotter. So I think real yields, uh, particularly as they start to reduce their asset purchases, tips yields are are still going to move much higher. Now, admittedly, we've had that view for a while, and it, We've basically been hovering within a range between negative 90 and negative 100 basis points for for quite a long time. But I think that we can, at least in in real yields, see this year's yield high again at negative 60 basis points. And that's the way that we get um, in uh, we we get 10 year Treasury yields significantly higher. Um, So that's our general Fed view. We will have our Fed preview out next week, along with our um, our November outlook. But, Angela, I didn't know. Did you have any questions for me before uh, before we let? our listeners uh, get on to the rest of their their day yeah so we're seeing a lot of fed speak right now about um you know that kind of this persistence of inflation and and kind of what it means and maybe the fed having to go a bit more aggressive if inflation does linger uh longer than they longer than they're anticipating so if that in that in that scenario where do you start getting what what kind of thing i know, I know you briefly talked about but what kind of things do you do you will you start seeing in the CPI report in the PCE report that might get you a little bit more word and might say hey yeah maybe maybe that scenario of the fed hiking faster um, in a faster pace than they did last in the previous cycle is uh, warranted or uh, you believe that the fed's actually going to do it yeah, so I think it comes down to a breath uh, problem. So, so if we look at um, personal consumption expenditure deflator or CPI uh, sectors, it's really do we do we see an across the board uh, pickup in um, in both jobs and wages and um, and, and inflation? Um, so, you know, how broad based uh, the uh, um, you know the price increases are, I think will will determine how how the Federal Reserve reacts. Now, what's interesting, and and I think that the belly of the yield curve is probably still a little bit more at risk. So call it the five-year, seven-year sector is probably where where that's going to uh, absorb a brunt of the pain of this, is that if the Fed does wait a little bit longer than the market expects, which, you know, realistically from a broad economic environment doesn't matter if they go in September or, you know, September 22 or, or January of 23, probably really not. Um, so I, th- I think that they'll be a little bit more cautious. But what that means is they'll probably go a little bit faster than the market's currently anticipating and um and and so that's one reason why you know you could see five-year notes kind of flatten to to 10-year notes and 30-year bonds a little bit further so you know some people have noted the significant flattening we've seen already in say the five-year 30-year curve it's flattened 31 basis points this year um now down to 93 basis points which is um you know the the flattest that it's been for this cycle um, and it, you know, it, I think it can get flatter. Um, I, I would not be surprised if we saw it at 60 basis points before the Federal Reserve actually hiked interest rates. And then as they're hiking, I do think that, um, you know, that, that you can see a general flattening of the yield curve. But we're not quite there yet. Um, because I do think you will have a little bit of a, uh, a dovish impulse at some point. And, and we have to remember, you know, we, we can only price, obviously, the 
the visibility that we have now, but eventually we're probably going to have some kind of hiccup, you know, whether that's, you know, further trade war or, you know, something will will probably derail the growth outlook in, in a lot of countries and, and large parts of the world. Um, and as soon as that that happens, then we start to price out um, Federal Reserve hikes. And, and we have to remember that the Federal Reserve is very cautious and tends to be very cautious. Go back to 2015, for example, um, a September 2015 hike was fully priced into the market, but because you had China devalue and you had some volatility in financial markets um, and uh, uh, forward growth outlooks kind of moved down a couple of tenths of a basis point globally, uh, the Federal Reserve paused because they got nervous and they waited. So I would not be surprised if something like that happened where the Fed waited three months or six months, a little longer than the market's anticipating at the moment. And, and uh, you know, historically, the forwards have actually been pretty poor predictors of actual Fed policy, as have the dots, by the way. I have to give a kudos to our Bloomberg economics colleagues who, uh, you know, looked at the, how the dots have uh, performed vis-a-vis actual realized policy rate moves. So so with that, uh, I will uh, sign off, off here on behalf of Andrew, uh, excuse me, Dan Hansen, and, as well as Angela Monolatos. I'm Ira Jersey. want to say thank you for listening. If you have any ideas for topics or, or folks that you'd like to hear on the Fit Focus podcast, please hit us up on the Bloomberg Terminal. Uh, with that, I hope you have a great day. 